0: Um, in 1977, a man by the name of Nicholas Scotti was scheduled to fly from San Francisco to his home country in Rome, in Italy. His flight stopped after a few hours uh, in New York for refueling, and Mr. Scotti assumed that they had arrived in Rome, and so he got out of the plane and left the airport. And he was confused by the unusual skyline, but assumed that the city had undergone uh, some sort of recent modernization. He was amazed that most of the people spoke English, but figured that Rome was filled with uh, American tourists. When Mr. Scotty finally saw a police officer, he went to him and he asked him in Italian for directions to the, to the bus station. And oddly enough, the policeman was an immigrant from Naples, and so he conversed with him fluently in Italian. But Scotty was baffled when he found no one else in Rome spoke Italian. Even when he was told he was in New York, he refused to believe it. And in the end, the police officers drove him back to the airport and sent him on a return flight to San Francisco. But for Nicholas Scoti, the police car racing to the airport only confirmed he was in Rome. He said, I know I'm in Italy because this is how they drive. You can laugh, that's a joke. (laughs) It's important to know where we are in life. If you get that wrong, there's not a lot else that will make sense. Um, I interviewed recently a a friend of mine on um, the issue of suicide, and he's called a little booklet that he's written, 13 Reasons uh, Not to Commit Suicide. And I didn't know why he called it that, but he told me he called it that because apparently there's a television program called 13 Reasons Why, and I've begun to take interest in this, and it's about a girl who uh, takes her own life, and then she leaves 13 Reasons Why she did what she did. And I've come to find from uh, information that, that an, a large number of kids are identifying with this and there's been an increase in suicides because of this program. And, and psychologists and, and people went to the producers and warned them that this sort of thing would happen. Something like 29% increase in kids between the ages of 10 and 17 who have watched this program. And you talk about not knowing where you are. And Christians are not immune from this. We know, we need to know where we are In life. And John is helping us to be clear on where we are spiritually. And that helps us know what it means to live in today for the glory of God while we await His coming. And He does this in three ways He tells us as Christians where we are theologically. Geographically and chronologically, theologically, we are at home in the Lord. Psalm 90, the Psalm of Moses tells us, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, because you see, we have been chosen in Christ before the creation of the world. Even now, as we sit here together in church as a body, we are safe and secure in Christ in the Lord, which is what we looked at last week, chapter 2, verses 12 and 14. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn to that. John says, I'm writing to you to reassure you that you know God, that you belong to Him, and you will make it to the end. I write to you, little children, because you have been forgiven. I'm writing to you fathers, because you know Him. I'm writing to you young men, because you have overcome. We are at home in the Lord. And while that is true theologically, geographically, we are in the world. But John doesn't just mean that we are physically on planet Earth, but rather that we as Christians live in a context marked by constant rebellion and opposition to God at every single level. For John, the cosmos, the word the Greek word for which he uses for world here, the cosmos is it's a framework. It's the world system that we live in. Human society organized under the power of evil. It's what Paul calls this present evil age in Galatians, or what he calls the world, the flesh, and the devil in Ephesians chapter 2. That's where you are in this world, in that system. A system that is designed to try to bring you down. What is in this world, verse 16, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. It is all short-sighted. All of these things are temporary. It's the things that gratify the here and now. It's the things that feed our pride. It's the things that we think we deserve, the things we desire because we think it will satisfy those desires. It's Gollum from the Lord of the Rings. It's our precious. If Zach were here, he would probably do an impersonation of Gollum. He does it very well. But it's the things that we turn over and over in our minds, and it's not usually just one thing. It's often a number of things that the world sells us as something that we need. And it's not just from the outside world. But it is our own flesh, right? It is those desires that are inside of us. And often those desires within us and what the world sells us come together and they meet. And it makes things very difficult for the believer. But it's easy to see this in other people, isn't it? We can look at our friends and we can look at our neighbors and we can say, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they bought that. I can't believe they said that. But when the mirror is in our face, we think it's a window to our neighbor. There's an allegory that reads something like this. A man was complaining about his neighbors. I never saw such a wretched set of people as these that are in my village. They are mean, they are greedy, they're careless. "'They're forever speaking evil of one another. "'Is it really so?' asked the angel who was walking with him. "'It is indeed,' said the man. "'Why, look at this man coming towards us. "'I know his face, but I cannot tell his name. "'See his little, sharp, cruel eyes darting here and there? "'The very droop of his shoulders is mean and cringing, "'and he slinks along instead of walking.'" It's clever of you to see all this, said the angel, but there's one thing which you do not perceive. What is that? asked the man. That's a mirror that we're approaching. These desires are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And there is a war taking place. There is a war going on. There is a war going on inside of us, and there is a war going on outside of us. And all this time, the whole thing is under the control of who? Well, if you have one John open, turn to chapter 5, verse 19, and we read We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is what stands against us. Don't be shocked when things don't go well, 1 Peter 4 17. Peter says to his church when they are facing persecution, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Which leads us to the third thing. John wants us to know. And that's in relation to our context. And that is that we are living at the end of time. Children, it is the last hour. John says, this world that seems so significant and substantial... This world that seems so mighty and and beautiful and permanent. In the end, it's just a vapor. It's just an illusion. For the light of the world has already begun to shine. Jesus, who 2,000 years ago came into the earth and died and was raised to glorious power at the resurrection. That Jesus is about to come again, John says. And we will be plunged into eternity if we are in Him. That's our context. We are at home in the Lord. We are living in this world. And we are at the very end of time. And the question is, what then does this mean for how we should live? And there are two things. First... We must not love this world or the things of this world, verses 15 to 17. He's not saying we don't love people or appreciate nature or art. He's saying the world system of rebellion and pride that seeks to replace God and his rule. That is what you are not to love or fall for. It's the things that occupy your time, your money, and energy that are not for God and His glory. A simple test would be to ask whether these things, in some way, bring glory to God. Now, some of you may be sitting here and thinking, well, my love for God is growing cold, or has grown cold, or... Or, or someone I know whose, whose love has grown cold, what does that mean? Well, I think at that point we need to be reminded of the promises of God and we need to go to Him. As Gordy prayed, we need to go to Him and confess what is on our hearts, that, that we have begun to fall for the lies that the world has sold us. And we need to be reminded of who God is and what He has called us to. And the promises that are with Him. And then we ask ourselves, what is the opposite of the world? What is the opposite of the world and all of its systems and its enticements? It is doing the will of God, it's abiding in Him remaining in Him. It's looking at what the world system offers and saying, no, I know the will of God and it is far better than anything that this world can offer me because abiding in God is for eternity. While the love of the world and the things of the world are passing away, They will either fail you in the here and now, or they will eventually burn up at the end. One abides, the other is departing. And the two cannot coexist, the love of the world and the love of the Father. For He says, if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. There's either a love of this world and and what it sells you, it's short-term, temporary fix to your problems or needs or the love of the Father. The only permanent, appropriate fix to your condition, to your problem, to your actual need. Do not love the world. Do the will of God. Love God. Be reminded. Go back to Him. Confess that the world has blinded you. And remember who He is. Second, in the next section, we see the the warning over the deceivers that will come. And in that, there is this contrast. There are those who went out, verse 19, and those who abide. And John's point seems to be in this section that just as we need to let go of the things of the world, we need to hold on to the things that will last. We're letting go of the things of the world and we're clinging to the things of God, to the things of Christ. And we see this in verses 24 and 25, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. That's his point. That's his point. Remain, remain, remain. Now let's look at some of the details, because I know some of this passage can be a little bit confusing. Verse 18. Children, this is the last hour And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. We know it's the end because what he promised would happen is coming to pass. We know that Antichrists have come. And if we're beginning to picture uh, some sort of left behind series antichrist or some end time book picture of antichrist then i think that may be a little bit unhelpful because what john is talking about here he defines it verse 22 who is the liar but he who denies that jesus is the christ this is the antichrist who denies the father and the son it's literally anyone who is anti christ It's not a super technical definition. Anyone who refuses to acknowledge Jesus as God's king, as his anointed one, as his Messiah. Anyone who denies the Son denies the Father who anointed him, appointed him. It it, it was the Father who made it clear for all to see that he was the Christ by raising him from the dead. And it's a package deal. You don't have one without the other. John says, these antichrists have come for they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. John says, these people who left were never really part of us at all. It's an important verse because it causes a lot of debate and even anxiety for us as Christians, can't it? Can a Christian fall away? These are the questions that have come back into focus with some people who have claimed to be believers appear to be departing us. And so we ask, could this happen to any of us? Could this happen to any of us? I don't think John is addressing that question here. He, he's not talking about Christians who profess to be believers and have the Holy Spirit and whether or not they can fall away because we know that they cannot. And, and I don't think John needs to address that because that is the teaching of the whole of the New Testament. Jesus himself taught this. John chapter 6, so John's uh, letter For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. That's a a promise. Earlier in verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. John's intention is not to frighten the believers as to whether they are in or out. Some scholars think he's talking about how the Jews rejected the message when the apostles took the message out at the beginning of their ministry, proving that they were not, in fact, children of God or children of Abraham because there was no faith. They, had never, they did not put their trust in Christ. They had rejected the Messiah. But others will say that there are some who will rise up from inside the ranks who will seek to lead others away from Christ. And we read in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 31, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he says, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And if from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. I don't know which one it is. I don't know whether he's talking about the Jews in the first century or whether he's talking about what Paul's talking about here, that the people will come from within and, and seek to detract. I, I don't know, but here's what I do know. Those who depart want nothing to do with Christ. They don't remain because they have consciously chosen the world. It's like Demas, who was uh, one of Paul's fellow travelers, and he would eventually desert Paul. And Paul says, Demas loved the world too much. He never had a love for Christ and of the Father They never loved Christ in the first place. They are at best going through the motions and playing church and faking it, and at worst are maliciously attempting to pull people away. Oh, but verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Don't let their trouble. Don't let their departure trouble you, John says. You who know Jesus as your risen Savior and Lord, you don't need to be anxious about these things because you are not going to fade away with this world. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You have the Holy Spirit, the living God dwelling within you. You know the truth. Verse 21, I am not writing to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. So we don't worry. We don't worry. Don't love this world. (coughs) Abide. Remain. Hold fast to the things that will remain. The gospel. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning... Abide in you. If you cling to this and don't run off after some new, newfangled flashy teaching, if you abide in the gospel, in a world of lies, you too will remain in the fellowship with the Son and with the Father. Verse 26, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. You don't need any of these fancy teachings, as we just said. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. We are theologically, we know where we are. We are are with the Lord. Geographically, we understand that we are in this world. And we understand the challenges that come our way. We're not caught by surprise when they come. Chronologically, we understand that we are in the last days. We're awaiting Christ's return. So do not love the world sin and its entanglements. Do not fall for the traps that the enemy lays. Do the will of God. Abide. Remain. Choose eternal things, not temporary things. It sounds simple, but we know it's not. We know it comes with a lot of heartache and we see brothers and sisters who struggle. And that's why we have the great privilege of being in fellowship with one another so that we can pray for one another, we can encourage one another, we can challenge one another. We have this body here and a a bigger one that will meet later. And we can be part of so many wonderful ministries in this place. Don't live this out in isolation. Don't think you can fight this on your own. Know that you have the confidence. Know that you have what Christ has promised. But remember to be together. We need this place. We need each other to remind each other. Because there is a battle within us and outside of us. And we have Christ. And this is our body that we've been given. So rejoice in it. Remember it. Use it. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for the words of John in his encouragement to all those who would read this little letter. Things that seem so simple and yet we so easily forget who we are and we so easily put our eye on the the lies that are sold to us and we begin to wonder what, if that could help us out more, or it would serve us better, or give us a, a better advantage in some capacity. But those things are passing away, they are temporary. And so we need your word to remind us, and we need brothers and sisters to remind us to continually be pointing us to Christ and saying, No, those things will pass, but Christ is forever. And he's proven it in his death and resurrection. So that one day we will rise with him. Seeing all those temporary things pass away. And being reminded of the light of Christ. And and glorifying in him. and, And praising him for all that he's done for us. With the brothers and sisters we've been given. Oh, what a wonderful day that will be when these things that are so dim pass away and the light of Christ remains. Teach us these things. Remind us of these things. For we pray this in Christ's name.